I'm Michael Foster, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. This episode is a discussion that Nan and I recorded with the men of Tyrannus Hall, which is our online men's group. And in it, we walked them through some of the more difficult emails we had recently and explained how we answered them and why we gave the answers we did. And we think it might be profitable for for you as well. So we hope you enjoy it. We get lots of emails sent to men at it's good to be man.com. And we really appreciate those emails. A lot of them are very encouraging is telling us how you're growing as a man, as a man who fears God. That's not just a good man, but good at being a man. Please keep sending them. We really appreciate it. Other emails we get are sometimes like these weird critiques. We got some weird critiques the last couple of weeks. What was the one that was, uh, there was a guy that was coming at me hard about ADHD, how I shouldn't have said that, that I was ADHD. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't care that deeply, but I see that this is a thing for you. So, you know, but there's another one that had that guy who thought that you were being serious about uh, treating your son as a kitty. I know that one was great. And I was like, no, that was, that was, uh, it was satire, man. And there's the other guy, man. I know we live in a crazy world right now, but it's not that crazy yet. Not for us. And then there was the, uh, we sent that newsletter out about how important, brotherhood is to growing as a man, which seems pretty obvious. And a lot of us guys feel that when we're looking for a guy to bounce things off, but that guy, he sends us that email. It's this really long email and how he's, he's super manly. He doesn't need anybody. Right. <laughs> yep. That's the most gamma thing I've written in a while. Uh, so I respond, me da think the lady protests too much. That was, that was my whole response. Because I was like, come on, man. So we get we get some of that stuff. And then um, me, Aaron Wren, Eric Kahn, and a couple other notable people in the Christian masculinity, masculinity space, whatever you want to call it, are getting spammed by this troll or, or insane person. Miss Kitty. Yeah, I don't know who she is, but I can't tell. But I text Aaron about it last week. And I was like, so I see that you're getting these emails as well. <laughs> so, so we get a lot of emails like those. Uh, so we get the su- simple encouraging ones, the ones that are like just really critiques that we just roll with. Some of them are helpful. Some of them are stupid. And then we get the crazy people, but the emails that sit in my email box are the ones that are really long and hard questions, right? Sometimes they're both. Sometimes it's a couple sentences and, and it's because a lot of it is a matter, it's not a black and white stuff, right? Like I don't have a verse for it. It's more about applying principles to the situation and thinking through it. And we uh, had a bunch kind of building up in the email box and non, uh, everyone's got it all backwards, right? Like you're the, you're the feeler you, or you at least have more of a heart than I do. Right. Like where I just won't respond to people and just move on. Cause I'm, I got a lot of things to do, but you're like, these people need answers. They need help. We need to try to help them. <laughs> like you don't word it that way, 
but that's what's going on. And it's very helpful because I'm like, oh, that's right. They're not just pixels on a screen. Somewhere there's a human being behind all of this. Not and I, in the last couple of days, uh, sat, sat down and talked over the phone, uh, how to answer some of these more difficult emails. Once that just take a little more thought. So we thought it might be helpful to share these emails with you and the answers that we were able to come up with that we think are helpful, but certainly not set in stone. So what email would be one of the better ones to tackle first? Well, we've got two emails and between them, I think they have three or four questions in them. Often people who have one question, one hard question, they often seem to have more than one hard question. So I will, do you want to just read it out? How about if, if we if we answered the questions individually, um, we can do one question at a time and then read the question and maybe just use your discernment to redact anything that might reveal a private yeah. detail unnecessarily. All right. So this email is from a man who has two young daughters. Uh, no, sorry, three young daughters. And his concern is about after the salvation of his children is in marrying off the these daughters to good men adolescent boys and men worth their salt he says leave the feminized church which leaves my daughters with very little in the way of options uh, either they're going to be having to marry somewhat limp-wristed beaters or they're going to be unequally yoked to culture followers and since we haven't written any articles on our site addressing this what is our strategy for our own daughters yeah, that that one sat in there for a long time. I had thoughts when I first got it, but they were more kind of disconnected little pieces as opposed to something that I could just like type out. So you and I talked about it, and since you're the real scribe of the of the pair, <laughs> I think you're the one that responded. How do you want to break down? Well, the thing, the first thing I thought of with that question is that we appeal to either reform types or patriarchal types, right? For obvious reasons. And sometimes they're not the same. We have a lot of non-reform people that listen to us, which we're we're grateful for their interaction. Even some of the people that are in Tyrannus Hall that have uh, produced some really helpful content uh, aren't reformed in a traditional sense and uh, thankful for that. Those two worlds though, tend to be full of people that are disconnected from the place they are in history. I think it's because they uh, are abstract thinkers that live in their mind and think through ideals and things like that. And so sometimes when you're talking about dating or finding a spouse for your wife, you immediately go back to this imagined time where courtship could work real well. And I think courtship depends heavily on patriarchy, but not the patriarchy that we talk about that's inevitable, that's a feature of the cosmos, a feature of nature, but the principle of patriarchy worked out into the culture and the legal system. When those things aren't there, it's uh, trying to make courtship work is very difficult. It may work, say, if you're a community that has some really healthy churches that are dominant, and, and, and there's a, the culture is impacted by it in some way. I imagine it might be able to work better than others. When those features aren't there in the culture, you, you've got to think a little bit outside the box. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put myself out there on this one is that I, this is going to get me in trouble, but 
this is the truth. Anyone will tell you that I tell men don't ask the father for permission. I don't. I mean, I say, ask him for his blessing. And it's not that I don't think the father, and this is a discernment issue. If he's a strong Christian man, a man of principle, ask him for permission. But if, if, if he's questionable, ask him for his blessing. And the reason is, is that there are a lot of men that would rather their daughter not get married, go on birth control and have sex and shack up with a guy then do what's holy and get married and, and be an honorable woman that honors God. In those situations, do you really want to give that man that sort of authority and power in the relationship? In a sense, you're rescuing that woman from a Philistine culture. You know what I mean? And so when we're living in cultural times like we do, where the systems are all jacked up, Step number one is to look where you're at in history soberly and start to come up with principles and ideas that actually apply to the place that God's placed you sovereignly, right? God determines the bounds of, of where we are born, our habitations, and our time in history, according to Acts chapter 17. God's put you right here in 2021, if you're listening to this in 2021. And so you have to deduce like what, how do I live in a holy way here? It's hard. It was hard for Daniel to live in a holy way in Babylon and Joseph in Egypt. And, and it's hard for us too. So that was the first thing I brought up. I don't know if you have any comments or thoughts on that. Only in as much as I'd say, this is a topic which is fairly close to my heart, not just because I've got a 13 year old girl, but also because I know a man who has essentially been, prevented from marrying the woman that he wants to marry and she wants to marry him because her father is a very patriarchal kind of guy and in my opinion he would rather see her be a spinster for her entire life than married to a man that he considers even in the slightest way um, defective or however he would put it um deficient not, in some not the perfect man you know yeah and that's not a loving thing to do. And I've counseled both him and her to get married anyway, because he's in violation of the Westminster confession, which says that you should not unduly delay marriage. He's in violation of the basic principle of what headship is for, which is to allow, um, headship is a, a service role, as we've emphasized in our article on servant leadership. The, the idea of servant leadership isn't fundamentally wrong. It's the way that it's used in evangelicalism. The idea that a, a, ruler or a leader serves God and serves people is absolutely biblical. That's the very point that Jesus is making when he says you should not lord it over. And a father who prevents his daughter from marrying a perfectly eligible man who is a faithful Christian just because he doesn't like the guy for some reason, that is lording it over her. So he's being tyrannical. And um, in a sense, as you say, he is uh, the prospective husband is rescuing her from that situation, which is something that, in my opinion, he arguably has a, a moral imperative to do if they both do want to marry. I a hundred percent agree. Uh, and I I've ran into these situations. I was blessed that when I became a Christian, I became a Christian in 1997. And then not long after that, by the time I was a youth pastor, the whole, I kissed Aiden goodbye. Josh, Joshua Harris thing was just blowing up. Right. The, you know, gay Joshua Harris, <laughs> he wasn't gay back then. Well, kind of was, but not in the way he is now. So that was all going on. 
And I would go to these these studies because some of my youth youth group would go to them and this girl would teach it and she would refer to I kiss dating goodbye as the gospel of Josh. Right. And she was being sly and joking and she was a, she was a pretty girl and very charismatic in the, uh, you know, the, the normal sense of the word. And I would sit in there and listen. And I, and I read Josh Weher's book. I, I did not like it. I did like, there was a chapter towards the end of that book on like practical ways to make yourself a better candidate for marriage. It's been a long time since I read it, but it was like clip your fingernails and things like that. It was like, it was actually really good advice on guys thinking through their appearance. It was a little bit of nice guy stuff, but I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I kind of walk around like a bum half the time. So this, this might not, this might not be a bad idea, but um, the, of course that girl ends up having sex outside of marriage and getting pregnant. And she said it was the only time she ever had sex which maybe it was God's mercy to her, but anyone that understands the dynamics of pregnancy know that probably wasn't the first time. And, and then I saw a lot of marriages come out of that, like these people that weren't going to kiss until their day, to the day they got married. And, and the marriages are complete wrecks and, and have fallen apart, lots of divorce, all sorts of stuff. And of course, you'll talk to courtship enthusiasts and tell, they'll tell you like, well, you, they'll, they'll come up with all these ways to explain around it, but there was something wrong with that culture. So you see the liberals talking about purity culture and raving against it. Well, the thing about those liberals is that they're doing it to excuse the sin in their life. But in my experience and in my observation, there is some truth to their critiques having dealt with the patriarchal world where there are a lot of blowhard macho men trying to prove how tough they are um, that have ridiculous levels of incest in their homes. You can't tell you the, the amount of incest in large homeschool families in the patriarchal movement. It is disturbing. It is weird. And anyone that works with it as a pastor has heard cases like that. They have. And it's not, it's exceptional. And like, it's not, I don't want to slander all those families, but it is a real problem in that movement in a way that is distinct from say other movements. So when these blue haired, you know, feminazis are railing against us for being patriarchal, I actually am pretty sympathetic to them if they came out of one of those families. Because I've seen it. I've seen these guys that got these girls that are 19 years old. They don't have a driver's license. They were homeschooled. And they were like taught how to gather herbs. Herbs, man. And how to like. That dress important them. life skill, man. Oh, yeah. When you the apocalypse comes, you're going to yeah. want those herb gathering skills. You know, but they have a very rudimentary understanding of math. And they're 19. Mm-hmm. And they're they're all dressed up like prayer like like they're extras on it's uh the prairie muffin yeah prairie muffins extras on little house on the prairie and Mm. so i'm real i'm real sensitive to that because i love patriarchy i think it's a gift therefore i hate the twisting of it right the the fake stuff and there's a lot of that out there swinging back around to courtship there was something to that purity culture where i think it was like i'm horny and I want to have sex and I need to create all this infrastructure to keep from doing that. So if I 
put on this purity ring and I make all these vows and I never cross all these lines and I get married in this amount of time. We do all this. This will protect me from lust. And while there is some practical wisdom in putting speed bumps between you in natural temptations, ultimately, um, they weren't dealing with the issue of lust at the heart and, and the fact that a lot of them were entering into these relationships pro- before they were even really able to take on a wife in, in a very real sense. And so guys, a lot of times when they're asking, like, how do I find a daughter? Well, if you're working in that mindset that belongs to another time and maybe will belong to a future time, right? I'm not saying those things are gone forever, or whatever. There's logic behind the principles and application of those principles. But if you're like me, I grew up pagan and like my wife, she grew up a Roman Catholic, you know, but not like deep in her morals. Like we didn't really have Christian parents to be involved, right? So the whole patriarchal model falls falls apart. And I met I met Josh Harris and we talked about that face to face. And I told him, I said, Hey, your book doesn't address people like me, you know. I think there's some good stuff in there, but you, you're coming out of like this homeschool world that I you know what I mean? I, I've been arrested a bunch of times. <laughs> you know, like oh like my dad's an ex con. I don't understand, like my dad's got an eighth grade education. Like what's his you know, not a Christian. And he was like, yeah, I've heard this critiques. He's actually really heard me out at that time. But so we, that was my first point to this guy is that you're not in that world anymore. You're in this world. What did we say? What was the next principle we gave to him? Well, it kind of also revolved around what I think is underneath both these principles is the idea of shrewdness. Um, the first principle has to do with recognizing the situation you're in and not playing by the wrong set of rules, not setting yourself up for failure by trying to be thinking that you're being the better man or being a virtuous man or doing what God requires. When in fact, what you're really doing is you're just kind of being a putz by playing by a set of rules that you've inherited from someone or interpreted somewhere and are actually setting you up for failure rather than, giving you a good chance of success so you need to be as innocent as a dove but you also need to be as shrewd as a serpent the second thing that we we thought was important um in terms of finding men to marry your daughters to and also the other way around you know i've got three sons and one daughter so the question of who's going to marry my sons is definitely uh, big on my radar as well is you need to be intentional from an early time about trying to form networks with people who are likely to have children that will make good prospects for your own children to marry. If you don't know anyone, if you're just kind of isolated, then the chances of finding someone for your children to marry is obviously really low. Whereas if you have some kind of a group, some kind of a networks, you've actually taken the time to form relationships with other men, other couples who are also having children and are of a like mind to you, then at least you've got a pool to draw from. And the more people you know, the more people they know. And so the larger your network um, by relationship comes. The the idea that you have to be working in isolation is really insane. Uh, throughout history, people have typically married the people that are in the same village as them. Well, you see Abraham sending his servant to go and find a wife for Isaac from his own people. He, got, he actually makes a long 
journey in order to be able to find the right wife for her. But he knows where to look because he's got those relationships. So forming relationships with people who are going to actually have children that are likely to be good prospects is very important. Absolutely. And the other thing we emphasize that's related to that, I remember talking to a guy several years ago about this, and we both had the same mentality where we thought, well, do I want my daughter to be married to a masculine dispensationalist who fears God or an effeminate Westminster standards guy? Right. And the answer is simple. If he's relatively orthodox in all the other areas, I want the masculine guy that's going to actually lead my wife and take good care of my kids. And and so <laughs> what happens is that these fathers create these lists that of the guy that they're going to accept. And, and they get rid of really men, good men, men that if you have a real strong mission as a father, because what I've what I've what I've experienced is that. Guys who are coming from a broken family but have quality character, a lot of gifts, and have converted to Christ and and are growing in their doctrine, if they come from a bad family, they end up identifying with the father-in-law's culture if his family is really strong is what happens. And that's uh, it's it's a little backwards because usually the wife is brought into the man's family, at least theoretically, that's what's supposed to happen. But this is because the nature, it's the nature of gravitas, right? Who, whoever has the most gravitas will become the center. And basically they're being attracted to the family that has all that gravitas. So if you have gravitas as a father and you see this guy, it's like, you know, his pedigree is questionable, but what he's done as an individual and has grown doctrinally and what he's done vocationally. If you have that strong gravitas yourself, like, well, that guy will be pulled into your orbit over, over time with your daughter, almost likely. And through the influence of your life, you'll shape him and you'll be able to point him on the right way, especially if he possesses the masculine characters characteristics you're really looking for. So I think that's yeah, I was going to say, if you have a masculine dispensationalist, at least I know that I can have a masculine conversation with him about dispensationalism, as opposed to if I've got an effeminate guy who, you know, maybe he agrees with me on all points of doctrine, but he's not leading my wife well. That's a much worse situation. You're leading your daughter well. That's right. With the my daughter, with the, yeah. With the dispensationalist, at least when there's disagreements, you're going to be dealing with a man. You can talk straight to him. And that's, that's huge. And I think guys, so what you need is you need to realize where you're at in history. You need to expand your network of like-minded men and, and, and you guys that are having all these kids, you can go ahead and connect uh, your children with one another. So this is kind of, I wouldn't say, I used to call it semi-arranged marriage, but what it really is, it's like a really pumped up version of matchmaking. And I kind of think that is really the future of where we're going right now. And having these these broad networks and kind of flexible categories when it comes to doctrinal requirements is, is wise. As I understand it, arranged marriage has always existed on a spectrum. And we think of arranged marriage in the most extreme terms because we latch on to the most extreme forms. But most arranged marriages tended to be a much more um, moderated affair where it was a case of the children understanding that they lacked the wisdom to make good decisions on their own. And so asking the very people who had been entrusted with their care for their entire lives 
who had more wisdom to find a good match for them. And in many cases, it wasn't just a situation of, well, here's your match, now get married. It was a question of, here's the match, what do you think? And it wasn't as if you just had to go ahead and do it regardless. Uh, in most situations, even in the case of um, Rebecca and Isaac, uh, I seem to recall Rebecca had a fair amount of leeway in making the decision for herself. It was obviously something that her parents were keen to happen. And who knows, maybe she would have been forced in the long run if uh, if she hadn't wanted to. But there isn't any indication of that in the text. The, the indication is that she goes willingly and that it's something that she's glad to do. So I think that um, the idea we need to we need to be moving away from the idea that parents are some kind of tyrannical force in children's lives who ought to be uh, rebelled from and feared in terms of their involvement in marriage. Parents ought to be a blessing to their children in their involvement in marriage. Absolutely. And in Calvin's Geneva, they wanted kids to get the blessing and permission of their parents, but they would correct parents for rejecting marriage over and over again, uh, like not validating the, the couple's desire to be married. They would actually come at them on that. And also the woman did have the choice, right? The, the whole idea of the, you know, the Disney movies from the nineties, it's like, there's a princess and she's being promised to some guy that she doesn't really want to marry. And uh, that's like what Aladdin, that's the basic premise of that story. And that's um, uh, not the case in Calvin's Geneva and not really the case uh, throughout much, much of history, you know? And I, a lot of times it's his parents are actually, wanting their kids to be happy in their forties and fifties, right. And they're dumb 20 year olds that yeah. don't know what's going to lead to an actual fruitful and happy marriage. So a lot of um, our episodes, not and I record together by ourselves, but some of our episodes we actually record in, uh, in front of an audience, and it's usually just the man of Tyrannus Hall, which is our men's group, which at some point will open up to more people when we get around to it. Um, but we have a bunch of people in, uh, I invited some folks that aren't part of Tyrannus Hall, and there's Tyrannus Hall people. Uh, so we're going to do something a little different. I'm just going to open it up for comments, comments that are like, you know, 10, 15 second comments or questions. Does anyone in the group have something you'd like to say? Yeah, I uh, just want to interject on that. You said the guy asked that question to that email about how to be more intentional about that. I think that's key to it because I'm a dad of seven boys and I don't think about relationships as a man. That's you know, I, I think that's for my wife. But then the reality is if I'm the man of my house and I'm leading my family, I need to get more intentional about being part of that process. I've got kids from 20 down to four. And my wife's already praying for their future mate. And I don't even think about that. I need to get more involved intentionally with that. 100% agree. And the best way as a man you can get involved is just find other men that are good fathers, right? And connect with them, right? That's the thing. Mm -hmm. You're looking, and this is where you have to have a definition of masculinity that's mature and biblical. Um, a guy that maybe his dead left, you'll see this on Twitter. You got all these Twitter, Twitter bros, gym bros on Twitter, like telling you, you guys got to be able to hit deadlifts. I don't know what my deadlift is. It's, it's not very impressive though. My bench press, I can hang with the best there, but my deadlift, not so much, but I'd rather a man 
that is an accountant or a banker and can't deadlift at all and maybe isn't into sports the way that I am, but leads his family well and is on top of it. You know, that I look at that guy and I think, you know, the the girl or the man that's going to come from that family is a man that's going to be willing to take responsibility and exercise authority in many cases. And so it's about actually knowing the quality, uh, the qualities of mature masculinity and looking for the mother men and connecting with those guys. And th- th- I think that is the advantage to some degree of these conferences that are out there whether you're going to these like fight, laugh, feast conferences or you're um, visiting Moscow or finding there's, there's kind of an interesting network that's evolving that is trans-denominational and meeting those people and connecting with them and just knowing what's out there. Cause I get emailed by pastors like, Hey, you got anyone? I had someone I was looking for. Uh, he had a 35 year old six foot, really attractive black doctor in his congregation that he was trying to find someone to marry. And I was like, <laughs> man, you're going to got to, you got to keep on looking because I don't get anyone. I think that can reel that fish in, but um, got a, I got some short fat white guys down here in their twenties, <laughs> but uh, I just kind of think they're not going to be able to score that touchdown. Um, but, uh, but I think pastors are thinking about this all the time because we know, that if women get swallowed up into the career track and the college track, and if guys get swallowed up into the kind of lazy video game porn or just uh, money making apart from family, if that, if that happens early on, it's, it's really hard to correct that and save uh, to redeem that time. It can be done. So as, as a father, you don't need to be like, Hey, Will your kids marry my kids? You know, but you you want to like have a network and guys can't be loners. That's step one, I think, being an intentional and building a broad network. Facebook and social media for all its evil, for all its stupidity, it does create these broader networks. And I think that's a value there. Just take your network offline. What was the next email that we tackled? The next one has two questions. I think that that will suffice after that. The first was actually quite a good question. Um, not sure if the second question we actually need to answer. The, f- the first question is really good. I'll just read it out. What does pursuing godly manhood look like in the context of someone with chronic illness? For example, if you could only work a part-time job and not in his particular areas of interest, how can he fulfill the dominion mandate with what seems like a generic mission? And are there biblical principles that would clearly indicate that until or unless he is healed, it is God's will that he not be married, even if he is spiritually mature enough that his counselors do not advise him to remain unmarried? So it's kind of two questions in there. The first is to do with vocation and how you can exercise dominion as a man if you can't actually work in a job that you're really interested in because of your illness. And the second has to do with getting married. This is why we don't answer these emails right away, right? You get emails mm-hmm. like that, you're like, wow, man. Like, Wish I could have a call with that guy rather than just trying to give him some kind of bad answer. Ask more questions, find out what's actually mm-hmm. going on, right? Because so many of these things, yeah. and I think this is what people have to realize is that, so when you're a, a pastor in a church, that a lot, of, a lot of questions, there's not a right answer to some level, right? 
there's not like a black and white. This is hundred percent how you answer it. There's not, it's not like true, false, yes, no, for a lot of these issues. It's more like short answers where you have to write or essay where you're like, well, here's the different principles and here's what's at play. And as I recall, that's how we came at this, um, this question. And so what, what do we do? What do we tell this guy? The first thing that we thought was important was that the question of what kind of job you do isn't necessarily that important to the question of whether you're actually being masculine or not. Vocation obviously is tied up with mission and masculinity, but you can exercise masculine in our book, in our forthcoming book, we identify three masculine duties, which are or three masculine virtues, which are wisdom, strength, and workmanship. Now, workmanship obviously is tied up with vocation to a large extent, but wisdom and strength are not specifically vocational. And even workmanship doesn't have to be specifically vocational. It can be tied up with a lot of different things. Essentially, workmanship is how you put strength and wisdom together into some kind of useful form. So you can obviously pursue those virtues without having to be able to work full time or even work in a job that you enjoy. You can be pursuing theological studies on the side. You can be in, in, engaged in various kinds of ministries. Um, you can be doing the work that you are doing for the glory of God, working as unto the Lord. I mean, if you think about the slaves that Paul writes to in in the first century and the slaves that Peter writes to, talking about the way that they should not be people pleasers or do eye service, but they should work as if they were working for the Lord. How many of those slaves really believed in the mission that they were doing? How many of them were really on board for the mission of the household? And how many of them were just doing it because that's what they had to do because they were slaves? So it's perfectly possible to serve God and to be on mission as a man, to, to, have, to be exercising dominion in the best way possible as a man in your circumstance um, without having to be in what you might think of as an ideal circumstance. I think that this kind of relates back to what we were talking about before we actually started recording, which was to do with vocation and self-employment and so on. And the way that self-employment is treated as a kind of gold standard of masculinity, which isn't really a good way of thinking about it at all, because self-employment comes with a lot of its own problems. And although you gain some freedoms, you have to give up others. You There's always a an interplay between different kinds of freedoms and different kinds of bondage. I, for example, am in bondage to having to do my own accounting because I'm self-employed. You, Michael, are not self-employed. You don't have to do your own accounting. You don't have to pay for your own travel. You don't have to buy your own computers. Um, and you have exchange, to sign in at 8 a.m. every morning. So yeah. Exactly. So in exchange for those freedoms, you then have the bondage of having to work a particular set of hours. Now, if you extend that principle, if you think through the, the more general idea of what's behind um, that particular example, you can be in any kind of situation and still act in a masculine way and still grow in your masculinity and in exercising dominion. You just have to get out of the mindset that exercising dominion looks like a particular thing. or It has to meet some kind of standard that exists out in the world that other men are also aspiring to. You, you're much better off taking the situation that God has put you into and saying, what is the best that I can do in this situation? What is the best possible way that I can exercise the gifts that God has given me, recognizing that the gifts that he's given me are less than some of the gifts that he's given most other men. What are the gifts that he's given me that he hasn't given other men? And how am I going to use those 
given the constraints he's given me that he hasn't given other men as well. 100% agree. I like to think of it in terms of the parable of the talents, right? The guy has one talent, five talents, whatever, how many talents. And what matters most is what you do with what you have, right? And guys can get stuck in this competitive comparing themselves to one another. That's not helpful. And what you need to think of is applying the principles with what you have. A man takes responsibility for himself and for others to the best of his ability, those around him. And there's so many men, and this is something I've noticed too. So when I was in high school, my best friend was extremely physically talented. And he ended up boxing in the Olympic trials and being a mixed martial artist for a while, pro guy, best man of my wedding. And I remember one night we went to a driving range, just driving, you know, uh, golf balls. And I was really slicing everything. I suck. Uh, golf is a finesse sport and finesse is not my specialty. Anyway, so my friend Quinn's there hitting those golf balls, just 150 yards, had never done it before. Right. Super straight perfect control, getting it further and further. And this white guy is thinking he found the next Tiger, Tiger Woods. Quinn was black. He was a pretty good wrestler too. Uh, and I wasn't. I joined the wrestling team with him at the same time. In the end though, I beat T Quinn. I went much further. I became team captain on the wrestling team for two years and became a wrestling coach afterwards. And I was very disciplined though. I did not have the same raw talent that he had, which was incredible right but i beat him because uh, i didn't lean on that talent i actually developed discipline and through discipline uh i i was better in the long haul and i always give people the example of roy jones versus bernard hopkins if you know boxing you can look this up uh, roy jones outclasses bernard hopkins back in the early 90s when they both were middleweights because roy jones was a freak of nature super quick one of the super uh, quickest boxers of all time Always had his hands down low, but below his waist, which is terrible boxing fundamentals. You want your head, your hands up by your ears, more or less. And he was just and, – and Bernard Hopkins back then was really good. But then when they both got old, they fought. And Bernard Hopkins, though, was always solid in the fundamentals. A disciplined boxer. Did everything right. And Roy had slowed down enough that Bernard beat the snot out of him. Right. It was a hard fight to watch, I think. And that's the difference between a ability and an actual discipline and skill. And guys that maybe don't have a lot of natural ability or natural size or they're short or they struggle with their weight or maybe they're um, more introverted and not as articulate. But if they will apply discipline to their life and go after it, many of those men will outpace their peers in the long, long haul. And the real issue is, are you making the most of the capacity that God's given you? And that's what I tell a man in any situation. This is especially important if you're a young man, because when you're young, that natural talent is much more important. And young men tend, talented young men tend to get very entitled. They think that because they're talented, they can do whatever they want and they're better than everyone else. And then gradually over time, they get bored with their talent. And so they tend to coast and not try hard at all. Meanwhile, the other guys are like, I can beat that talented guy if I work at it. 
And so they gradually get surpassed by all of the peers that they previously looked down on. This is something that I know from my own life. The arrogance of young men, talented young men, is quite towering. I used to be very prideful in some of my talents. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that in order to actually keep up and be at the kind of level that I like to think of myself as being at, I actually have to work at it. And that's not because I'm not talented. It's because other people work hard and also want the things that I want. So in order to be able to, in the long term, uh, achieve the kind of mastery and exercise dominion in the way that you want, you have to actually have a plan and you have to have a dedicated work ethic. The, the good old Protestant work ethic. You can't just coast and you can't, it works the other way as well. You can't say, oh, well, because I'm not talented, it doesn't matter. I just won't try. You have to either way have a talent, have a work ethic. What's interesting is both men have a point where they break and give up. And I feel like some of these guys that email us are looking for an excuse to give up and say, I can never do well. Right. And I've seen guys that had that immense talent, but never developed the discipline. So when the opportunity is presented to them to level up in their career, in their athletics, whatever it is, um, they don't because they lack the discipline and they, they have to come up with some excuse, right. To say, well, this is why, you know, they're biased in this way. Or if I was really trying, I would have done better. That's like that. That's a loser mentality. I hear that all the time. Like if I really was trying, I would have won or I would have got hired. Like, well, you didn't. So you still failed. Right. And I think you might've failed if you tried too, but these guys always have to create an excuse to get away from the hard, grueling work of manhood, right? And if you have a guy with chronic illness, we would say like, why I have um, sympathy for your situation, you must not be effeminate. It is still a sin even for you, right? And your output might look different than my output, but if you develop discipline, uh, first off, in the eyes of the Lord, the Lord will, uh, we will receive our rewards. God, God will be honored. God's name will be honored. It will be effective in blessing those around you, whether it's a wife and children or just other people in your congregation. But you, no one may be effeminate. You can't create these excuses to write off um, your responsibility to be masculine. And so let's say you're confined to a wheelchair, uh, we, we early on had a guy write to us that had lost his penis in a car accident or something. It had been, it had been damaged beyond, um, and now it, it had to have, it, it wasn't working right. And he was like, could I ever be a man, right? And I was like, you are a man. You are a man right now. You still are, and you still can be masculine. This has damaged your ability to have a fulfilling sex life. You know, but this world is not our home. This world is broken. And there is such thing as chronic illness. There is such thing as terrible accidents. And we still can respond to those things in a way that honors God and is contingent upon our sex, right? That reflects what God's made us to be. And that's what you have to tell guys. Stop making excuses, right? Actually take action on what's in front of you and stop thinking about don't try to be someone else. Right. Look at those that you respect 
and take the principles of their life and now apply that principle to your life, right? So let's say you want to be a good financial investor. Well, you might never be Warren Buffett, but if you take the sort of, you know, wisdom that he has, which I'm not I'm no expert in Warren Buffett. I know his last name's not Buffet, but um, you take those principles and apply it to your life, then you will get fruit. And that fruit will be honoring to God, whether it's one talent fruit or five talent fruit or whatever. Right. And that's, that's how we wanted to respond to this guy. I think also for people, for Christians who are in a situation that is physically um, discouraging, let's say, whether it's an accident or it's an illness or whatever, it's really important to remember the hope that you're going to be resurrected. You're going to be given a perfect, glorious body. And at that's once you've had that realization, once you have that hope to look forward to, the question has to become, what am I going to be like when I'm given that body? What kind of character do I want to have? What kind of skills do I want to have in order to use that body well? And that's what you should be focusing on now is developing those as best you can with the hope that one day you're going to have the body to really use what you're developing. Absolutely. I mean, that's part of the problem with um, a lot of the masculinity space is that they have no doctrine of resurrection. They have no doctrine of life after death. They are, uh, it's all about the now and, and they more or less are worshipers of youth. And that's why a lot of these guys, especially the guys on YouTube are, or not well, YouTube and uh, Twitter are all on TRT and HGH. And uh, I mean, I know I know some of these guys like personally, I know them, met them. And the reason they're like 50 years old and look like they have a teenage body to some degree is because they're trying not to die. What I which which is I respect, I'm trying not to die at some level as well, but it's inevitable, right? So the doctrines of scripture allow you to be a man and face down your mortality and your need to be resurrected. Right. And this is why Gnosticism is a soul destroying doctrine. It robs you of the hope of the resurrection. And many times all we can tell some men, and these are think, think of these guys that get divorce raped, you know, where the woman divorces them takes their kids, takes their money. And he really hadn't been a bad husband. And the wife had been unfaithful repeatedly. We, kn I know these stories very well. If the only hope I have to offer him is how to like score some hot chicks and get remarried. Well, that's not a lot of hope because there there's a limit to these things in life. And we are Christians and we believe that we need the resurrection. That's what the resurrection is the blessed hope. So a lot of this, if if your masculinity doctrine isn't a doctrine that involves, that solves the problem of death and aging, then it's going to leave people high and dry. And that's why we actually got involved in It's Good to Be a Man, because we wanted to respond to the pagans who were creating helpful content uh, for the here and now. But in terms of the broader issue, they weren't tackling death. None of them talk about it, right? Because they don't have any answers, but we do. And it's an answer that actually is deeply involved um, with the issue of sexuality, which is the resurrection of the body. 
on that note, let's finish with the final question, which is about whether a man with a chronic illness should take that as a sign from God that he shouldn't get married uh, unless he is healed. Here's the brutal, hard answer. Maybe. Right? Maybe. Do you want to marry a woman that pities you and thinks you're weak and that will cheat on you five years from now because you can't, you know, deliver the masculine leadership that she needs in terms of providing resources and um, strength and all those things? Do you, do you want to marry that woman? People say that's brutal. Yeah, it is brutal, but it happens. It happens all the time. I'm very familiar uh, with situations where spouses of both sexes, uh, while the other spouse is dying in, you know, dying from cancer, dying from a car wreck, dying from all sorts of things in the hospital where the spouse will go out and cheat on them. Right. Uh, I've seen that happen. It can happen. And anyone that tells them, gives them some sort of pipe dream uh, is not doing this man a favor. It depends. I think that sort of man needs to add uh, some more stringent filters. He, that sort of man actually needs to have a even really dialed down mission because the example I'd give someone is take like Stephen Hawking's uh, Stephen Hawking's, you know, he's dead now, right? He died, didn't he? Yeah. Um, uh, is he dead? I don't know. I don't, I'll keep this track of this stuff. Yes. Okay. There we go. <laughs> his deadlift was, uh, he is both dead and his name is Stephen Hawking. Joaquin, okay, well, he did have this great mind and this great passion and this great drive. And I think that that can hold a woman to some degree. And so I would tell a guy really dialing down on your mission because you, that woman can't be your everything. Um, you know what I mean? But you need to be very careful in entering. Is it a sign from God that you shouldn't get married? Not necessarily. But it might be unwise to do it depending on the options that are available to you. I just think that's the honest truth. What would you yeah, say? It's highly um, circumstantial. It very much depends on the circumstance that you're in. And it's also one of these annoying things that there is no black and white answer because it exists on a spectrum to such a degree. Marriage is a normative institution which means that normal people should normally get married. So once you start straying outside of normal, then whether you should get married or not becomes a lot more questionable. But how far outside of normal are you? Um, and how far outside of normal is the woman that God puts in your life, maybe who you think you maybe want to marry? Uh, my wife mentioned to me before we did this, uh, the this YouTube couple, Shane and Hannah, um, they're kind of like a celebrity couple on YouTube. And he is extremely disabled. Um, he's, I think he can move like one hand or something. That's it. He's got like this kind of tiny body and he looks very strange. He's got a big head and tiny body compared to his head. And, oh, that guy's um, hilarious. So he, I know who that guy is. Yeah, he, he's, he's pretty really funny. funny. Yeah. Yeah. But he's got, uh, I think it's his girlfriend, not his wife, but she seems to be very devoted to him, this woman called Hannah. And she's quite an attractive woman. And it's a very weird thing to watch. I've only watched a couple of their videos, but it's a really strange kind of, you watch it, it just doesn't feel right. You know, there's this attractive normal woman who is essentially just a caregiver to this guy, but also kind of his lover. 
a very strange dynamic and it just seems like there's something not quite right there doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong just means that there's a an intuition that god has put on us about what normal should look like and it's being pretty heavily violated in that case and that isn't always um a a sin necessarily but it is something to think about and depending on how far down that spectrum a particular man may be or a particular woman for that matter but i think with a with a woman maybe it's not quite as bad because men uh, one of the defining characteristics of men is strength so you know physical able-bodiedness is really important to a man in a way that maybe not so much for a woman obviously if she's not able-bodied she might not feel beautiful which is something that is important for women but it's just a question of how far outside normal you are and um, how far outside normal the people that you might be wanting to marry are and (laughs) i don't think that there's any necessarily any case where being outside normal is going to make marriage a sin it's not like one of those situations where um well okay Obviously, there are situations where it's going to be a sin, for example, where it goes contrary to nature. So if you're outside normal in a way that's going to make marriage contrary to nature, you definitely shouldn't do it. But I think most of these situations, it's not so much contrary to nature as it's a situation which maybe wouldn't exist without the aid of technology, without the aid of other people having learned exercise dominion over medicine really well. And, you know, maybe that's a blessing to you. Absolutely. This is why people need to be part of a church with pastors that are willing to work through these things with them, right? And talk about these things because it is about applying broad principles and, and thinking through your particular circumstances. I think a lot of the calls that I do or you do or interactions we have with guys, a lot of times we don't tell them what to do, right? We say, well, here's the factors I would think through and, and then a lot of times they're like, oh, yeah, I was thinking through that, right? And it's just a process of applying these principles and allowing those people to come to an adjudge- a judgment, right? And that's, um, and that's why Christians, uh, I should say evangelicals, are worthless when it comes to sexuality, right? Because they have a chapter and verse mentality where you need an explicit statement of scripture. And there are explicit statements on sexuality, but scripture, the principles of scripture are as God breathed as anything. Right. And um, so I think this, this proves, you know, people will come up with these exceptional cases. We can deal with them, but we can't deal with them by saying, here's the black and white, right answer. We can say like, here's the principles of scripture now um, think through it. So Hey, Nan, any closing thoughts on this portion of the show? No, that was a good closing thought. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. (laughs) 